Welcome to the South Asian Studies at Stanford podcast, also known as the SAS pod. I am Lalita Duperon, Associate Director in the Center for South Asia. All our podcasts and information about the center are available at southasia.stanford.edu. Today, we welcome on the SASPOD Dr. Chandra Vadana, Fulbright awardee and a visiting postdoc at Stanford, where she's working at the Gendered Innovations Lab under the guidance of Professor Londa Schiebinger of the History Department. Chandra has a multifarious resume, and I will be asking her about all her different projects. I do just want to mention that because of the nature of Chandra's work, there may be references to domestic violence and sexual assault in the podcast. Chandra, welcome to the SASPOD. How are you? Hi, Lalita. I mean, this is amazing. Thank you for inviting me for this uh, program, and I'm really delighted to be here. Fantastic. I look forward to um, sharing with our audience everything that you do. But I'm curious, you are so multifaceted. So when people ask you, what do you do? What do you say? <laughs> well, that's a, that's a question which I get asked every time and I say I live a happy life. Oh, <laughs> I like that. I mean, I, I, I chose happiness in my life and I want to do as many different things and as many impactful things in my life. Uh, that, that's, that's it. <laughs> so I ended up doing different things. Okay, great. Well, let me reframe this then so we can zoom in a little uh, and then we're going to, you know, zoom out. Uh, tell me what your Fulbright project at Stanford is. Okay, let's start with my research, my academic work. Yes, so um, at Stanford, um, I'm here as a Fulbright Fellow. Um, my work is to develop an, a framework, an assessment framework for startups uh, to understand their social equity and sustainability models. So basically, uh, the work aims to come out with an um, implementable assessment tool or a framework, which every startup, we believe that, or rather I believe that every startup has to be a, uh, a sustainable and a social startup rather than just calling the regular start certain startups as a social startups or social entrepreneurship. I believe every startup in the world has to do good for the humanity and how do we implement it most effectively right from the beginning. This is what I'm trying to research on. And um, working with Londa Schiebinger at uh, the Gender Innovations Lab has been fascinating so far for me because a lot of work has been done in this domain, especially on integrating gender, sex, intersectionality in various domains, not just the startup. So what I'm trying to do is to integrate these tools into the startup ecosystem. And where else to do than the Silicon Valley <laughs> and the heart of Silicon Valley, Stanford University. So this is what my project proposal was to Fulbright. And thankfully, I, I won the project and I'm here. I'm halfway through the project. I have uh, completed the phase one of the study where uh, uh, a lot of literature as well as expert uh, discussion has been completed. Now we are validating the framework very soon. And then I will be piloting this framework in 
selected startups in Silicon Valley, which will be a sort of academic output. And then probably I will scale it up across the globe. And that is the plan. What are the tools? Tell us a little bit more about the nitty gritty of, of what that looks like. Right. So um, the, you know, just to make it very simple, um, social Please. equity, yeah, <laughs> social equity and sustainability. These are very, very important topics right now. We are talking across the globe. However, when it comes to actual measurement of it and how we define it, it varies. You know, there are yeah. certain frameworks which are used by corporates, a bigger MNCs and companies which have a lot of money to do, invest on it. And most of the time, um, it is done as part of their, uh, what do you call it, uh, CSR. Basically, they say that, you know, let's say, let's take uh, some big technology companies. They say tech for good is meant for CSR. You know, it's just a part of their social initiative. However, Corporate, corporate social yeah. responsibility. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, however, what we are trying to do is to provide every startup founder with certain toolkits uh, for each faces or each uh, stage of their startup uh, function or you know right from the ideation stage what is your purpose and the vision how you can integrate social equity and sustainability much better uh, how in what ways you can design or dev devise your uh, mission and vision statement so right from uh, the 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 beginning stage to the implementation stage the operation stage uh, the innovation and design stage the the capital raising stage, the corporate, mm -hmm. I mean, the, the startup governance stage, how to incorporate, um, let's say, uh, there are there are basic simple things like having diversity in the founding team. How many startup founders even think about that? So what we are trying to do is to make a list of all these resources and toolkits, which can be made available in the public domain in due course. And uh, um, that way, every startup founder can try incorporating, if not all the uh, different things, but at least fifty percent of them that will help and them to achieve. What's the what's the um, what's the accountability piece? Is there do they uh, is are there mandates for them for the startup founders to do that, or are you hoping that they want to do that? Silicon Valley not known for uh, gender equity or indeed any kind of equity. I I don't think. Exactly, that is precisely the challenge. I would say. Mm -hmm. um, there are certain ecosystems like, for example, the Nordic countries are far ahead in these mandates. It is actually part of the policies or, for example, I can quote the example of uh, Swedish innovation agency, Vinova. Uh, it is important that every uh, you know major project that they fund, uh, the team should be diverse. So there are certain mandates which is insisted by uh, the government or similar bodies, which helps the founders to work in that dimension. But as you rightly said, in Silicon Valley, we do not have such mandates as yet. Uh, however, um, I would say there is a general positive trend towards this concept. Of course, it will take a lot more uh, effort as well as uh, activism and awareness to be created in this dimension. And that is precisely the, the challenge or the exciting part of this project. When there is an opposing side only, the, the whole project becomes exciting, right? Otherwise, <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I love that. Okay, so you feed off resistance is yeah, what you're course. saying. <laughs> For example, let's take the case of women and gender uh, rights, you know, since there is another side who is talking the opposite, it becomes more stronger on this side. So there are there are investors and Silicon Valley community who believe these are, you know, these are just... Um, Sorry for using the word, but BS. Uh, but uh, still, 
still there is another huge set of people who will believe in this and i think uh, we will have to rally for them <laughs> fantastic well i'm glad you're an, a kind of an activist as well as a as a scholar um <laughs> That leads into my next question, which is that your background is not really the linear school, college, PhD trajectory that many of us do follow. So tell us how you got to academia. Okay, now that's a fantastic. Um, I love to quickly run through my career trajectory, which will also answer your first question of how I become multifarious. Okay. Um, well, after my basic education all my basic education has been in india and uh, i come from a normal middle class uh, family in a second tier city in india and um, of course uh, education uh, has been an important aspect in my uh, family i mean my mother as well as my father felt that okay girls should be educated however uh, we also i also belong to the society where um, women's education okay you get educated to the maximum and then you get married and have children and settle down that's all is expected out of a girl mm. um, I had to face a lot of stereotypical issues and challenges because of this societal conditioning and um, I also ended up um, getting married at a very young age of 22 uh, even while I was pursuing my um, education you know my uh, however I completed my education my I did my MBA at that time from Cochin University uh, after that, I um, did my um, while I was uh, I mean while I was studying itself. As I said, I got married and then I got two kids and I had to take a long career break, a maternity break. And none of the corporates or big organizations was willing to hire me as a as an employee mm -hmm. because uh, though I had you know qualification, education, and everything, when it comes to uh, the break and other things uh, companies were not ready to give me a job so I had I was literally jobless for a long time I would say mm -hmm. and then uh, this actually this period however I used for upskilling myself I focused more on you know gaining skills and other things I focused on developing myself as a as a human being as a personality you know I was I was never this confident to even talk to a stranger <laughs> you mm -hmm. know so all those things I developed uh, in a hard manner. There was nobody to coach me or mentor me. And all these challenges that has that happened in my life, uh, along with a sort of a difficult marriage, uh, I would say, uh, all this led, this led me to uh, come out with an initiative for women. Uh, in 2017, uh, I mean, before that, I was I tried working in different jobs, in hustling different jobs. Like I, I became a radio jockey. I became a, uh, you know, uh, I've done all kinds of small jobs to survive and sustain, including selling insurance. So uh, I love and, that you were a radio jockey. It's just like I didn't see that coming. <laughs> yeah, I have done all kinds of odd jobs to meet, maintain or to keep myself in the career or, you know, trying to hustle things. Mm. I've done all kinds of things. And I also tried starting up and, you know, coming out with my own venture that also failed uh, in the initial stages. In 2008, I tried launching a venture that failed, lack of support. In those days, the word startup was not even there in the dictionary. And uh, women who is uh, running, trying to run a business is not highly encouraged by uh, forget highly encouraged they are mostly discouraged by, by including family members yeah. that's precisely what happened in my life as well yeah. and later in 2017 I before that I also had one more startup failure in 2015 combined all of that frustrations uh, I thought okay let me do something to help more women who are in similar situation that's how I launched my nonprofit called Prayana Labs in India 
And 2017 onwards, I would say I've been a sort of uh, activist in this domain of helping more women uh, to one, to come back to career, uh, which is the pain which I personally what, uh, had. And uh, the second one was campus to career, because I heard the young girls who are right now in colleges uh, or in schools, they need to be oriented about having a career for themselves and how you need to be financially independent. And it's not just about financially independence. I call it the creating an identity for yourself and mm -hmm. contributing the best to the world, you know, realizing your full potential. So how can we help young girls to achieve all of this? That led me to the launch of Prayana Labs. And uh, ever since then, we have touched based at least 20,000 women across India through various initiatives, uh, career initiatives, conducting come back to career meets, conducting job fairs, uh, you know, uh, lecture sessions, online sessions, social media campaigns. A lot of work has been done thanks to the volunteers, a lot of women who joined along with me in my craziness <laughs> in doing this. So that's how the nonprofit angle evolved. And uh, parallelly, uh, I also tried to launch a couple of women-led businesses, uh, which includes one, a, uh, a magazine, a digital women's magazine called SheSite, which is running quite successfully. I have an editor and reporter team across India who uh, give stories of success by women. And um, we want to feature a lot of successful women there. So that's something uh, which is happening. Um, I also try to launch, or rather it's still running, um, an e-commerce platform for women, uh, women-made products. So across India, these are all currently based in India. And uh, across India, we are trying to help rural women who have small-scale businesses to upload their products into our e-commerce you know, platform and try to help them with more sales. So these are my current ventures, and uh, I would say um, it's it's currently even running successfully in India while I am here at Stanford, uh, thanks to the wonderful women leadership that I have worked uh, with. And uh, my pride is that most of them were come back to career women uh, like me, <laughs> you know, who didn't get an opportunity that back then. But right now, most of my uh, leadership uh, are these women who are working from home and also the campus girl students. We call them as Prayana Fellows and uh, most of the fellows actually run most of these uh, community activities and other things and it's shaping up well. So uh, this, is, this has been my career's journey. Uh, I would say from this being a social entrepreneur, I realized the pain of being uh, you know, probably born a woman uh, and being denied opportunities mm -hmm. and the fight that we have to do in order to obtain uh, opportunities for us. And while we fight, uh, you know, try to grab an opportunity, we also has to have to wade off all the uh, barriers that comes in front of us. So I thought if we can work together to help more and more women reach this, um, that will be great. That's how the organization was running. Now, coming back to the academic scenario, these gender-related uh, work actually gave me a lot of confidence and also in interest in learning about gender equity issues and uh, social equity issues. So I started researching and I came out with a couple of uh, good papers, uh, which helped me to embark my journey into the uh, research arena. So I... When I cleared my PhD in from Cochin University in 2020, my next step was, yes, I want to work in the gender domain as well as in the social equity domain. Uh, so, and that's how I applied for the Fulbright. So that brings me to the career embarkment into the academic area. 
Oh my God. It's, um, you get these quotes that people sometimes put at the bottom of their email. Like you think you don't have time for things, you know, Mahatma Gandhi or Martin Luther King only had 24 hours in the day, but you make me feel that way. Like I should be doing more. Like how am I not achieving all these things? <laughs> That's so, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by that thought. But what I feel is um, there is a quote which my you know which I use in my email, which is uh, what you do today is important because you are exchanging a day of your life with what you do today. Wow. We will sit with that. We will add that quote to the show notes and, and just for our audience, um, all the many ventures that you mention, um, we will we'll link to the show notes in well as well. So yeah, people can can click and look up. Um, all the different things that you are talking about. Um, somehow, while doing all of this work, um, you were able to also produce a short film called Identity, which is available on YouTube. And again, we will link to it. Now, um, I watched the film. I enjoyed it. It does seem to have a message. So tell tell me what you were hoping to achieve with this film and, and what was involved in the making of it. Okay, thank you, Lalita, for watching the movie. Uh, uh -huh. It is actually in Malayalam language. Uh, it is language. subtitled, so there's that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is subtitled. Uh, and of course, a uh, lot of other audience are also watching it. Right. It's a very um, simple, short movie. Uh, but uh, I would say the message which I wanted to convey through that movie is that something connected to what I said already before. Every woman in our uh, world has her own identity, but very, very few of them are able to realize it because of different challenges that uh, or the barriers that they have to face in their life. Uh, you may talk about all successful women around us, but if you ask them how they reach that position, I'm sure they will have a lot of uh, issues to talk about. Probably they would have crossed various bridges in order to reach that position. So uh, this short film actually narrates the story of uh, a housewife, a typical, uh, I would say, in India, uh, this is, you know, this is a statement which I normally say India has the high, highest number of professionally qualified housewives, mm -hmm. you know, which means they are all professionally qualified. They have their masters and BTECs and MBAs and, M, you know, PhDs, but they end up becoming a housewife uh, for two reasons. One is the societal expectation. Second is lack of opportunities, you know, or the awareness that most of the companies sometimes do not insist on diversity hiring and diverse uh, participation. So these are all uh, issues that the society current faces in India. So uh, this movie uh, highlights the story of uh, the protagonist is Devi. Devi, uh, why the, the name Devi is, is a little ironical the name because we, in India, we pray to all kinds of goddess. We say that they are Devis, you know. So goddess is a powerful being. However, when it comes to the real goddess, the woman amongst us, it's very difficult to accept them as goddess. Right. <laughs> so right. that is why the name Devi. And um, Devi is a typical housewife. She uh, she has done her post-graduation long time back. She talks about that. No, I am an MA in Malayalam. So for which the husband keeps on snubbing her. Oh, that's a long time. There is no value for it. Yeah. Uh, basically, she undergoes uh, the life is uh, undergoes all kinds of violence, you know, abuse, like emotional abuse, physical abuse, financial abuse, sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. However, she cannot come out of that uh, situation because of um, not having 
her own financial independence as well as uh, other support systems. She is like living a life of a cocoon inside the four walls of the house. So the entire short film uh, is shot within the four walls of the house just to again reinforce these aspects. The women's life are within the four walls. However, the same woman can come out of the four walls if she decides to. So the protagonist Devi actually transforms to become a new person and she gives her own uh, a new title for herself called Durga Devi. <laughs> so it's like she gives her own, you know, a, a new name for herself. She wants to become someone. So that evolution has a particular aspect. One is the presence of other successful women who encourages her. Uh, in this story also, there are two women who encourages her. And that I think is a very powerful aspect. That is why we need more women to keep on supporting and empowering other women. Second, the woman herself has to understand that I have certain potentials and it is a crime if I don't use that for the betterment of society or even for my own self-realization. So uh, uh, the movie revolves around the character of Devi and how she actually you know, overcomes all of these challenges and comes out uh, successful uh, out of that end of the story. This movie actually inspired a lot of uh, women. Um, the whole concept was to inspire women to think in this dimension. And mostly, uh, even others, even men also who watch the movie should understand that there is an identity for every woman. It's not just limited to the husband's identity. You know, most of the time in our country, we find that women are always tagged to the husband. You, know, you are a Mrs. XYZ. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to come out of that and realize what is you, what is your name and where are you? Uh, so that's the whole message that you, that you wanted to give to the <laughs> I I um I sent the link to um a number of Indian friends and mm -hmm. and one friend commented that she felt because the husband is so abusive on in all the dimensions you mentioned um she worried that there was a risk that a lot of women would watch the movie and men actually and say oh well that's not my life like this is really bad whereas my life is okay whereas I think often abuse can be quite subtle um, and so the, the emotional abuse may be there, the financial restraints, everything that stops the woman from, as you say, developing her identity. But it's not as obvious because it's very overt, right, in the film. Mm -hmm. Did you consider that at all, that people might be like, oh, well, I don't have it that bad, so I'm okay? Well, uh, this awareness has to be created, I would say. Uh, initially, see, of course, this is a fiction. Uh, right. So obviously, I have to show it in a little stronger way. That's why uh, there is a physical abuse also. But if you look at the sequence, uh, I've tried to include all the emotional and subtle uh, self-esteem abuse also. Yes, for sure. The story. It's in small, small dialogues, uh, small, small statements that the partner gives. This The woman realizes that she's undergoing abuse. Uh, but to answer your question, I think, um, you know, we have to start somewhere, you know. Uh, people right. have to be aware. As you rightly said, I would say at least 70 to 80% of women do not even realize that they are a, a victim of abuse mm. because they think, okay, I have to uh, be like this uh, in order to be a good wife. Mm -hmm. you know? I have to accept there are countries even now uh, which, um, you know, which doesn't uh, consider domestic violence as a crime. However, in India, we have good uh, legal system where if you have if you are a victim of domestic violence both emotional as well as physical or any other kind of violence you can take legal help but how many women actually go behind it mm -hmm. they just you know it's just you will see in this movie also she says one dialogue 
for 17 15 years or so we are married and right from the first month of marriage you have been beating me and every time i cry um i go back to my father and my father say that you know don't come back you know yeah. this is how he will change you know and uh, you also the, the husband also does the same he he just after beating and after all that he goes and say sorry next day he takes her to the hotel or a restaurant that's it that's patched up so yeah. this is a trend which mm-hmm. happens unfortunately women are not able to come out of this for the primary reason of financial independence yeah. i would say yeah that's where the it's it's uh, we have to create the awareness that one what is abuse many people do not know what is abuse what are the different types of abuse second we have to also give them the opportunities to empower themselves financially i think yeah. it's a big job what what i found particularly troubling about the movie is the way that uh, the husbands um kind of recruits their children to also be abusive to that was very as a mom of a teenager that was very painful uh, to watch it's actually not private i would say it is not intentionally that happens but it happens especially yeah. when the women is not aware of what is happening for example uh when this woman comes up with an idea of uh getting into a program or a training uh, the husband says these are all cyber frauds and she doesn't even know what is a cyber fraud and right. the children laughs yeah. the reason because reason is that um primarily women are they they may lack access to these kinds of information and they end up uh, they are afraid of learning or maybe the the family members including the children because they are getting awareness they are going to school they are interacting with this so they sometimes go far ahead when it comes to education and if the mother is not able to cope up to their expectation then obviously she becomes uh, vulnerable or she becomes you know a fool in front of them and yeah. uh, that again it's like a cycle i would say you right and as you um, break the cycle it's going to be difficult so she finds her um her independence through online work right online cl- classes and then online work can you talk a little bit about the how the pandemic um has helped um if if that is the right word i don't want to put the pandemic in a positive light uh but maybe silver lining uh, that because um the virtual space was so visibilized during the pandemic has that helped your work at all yes for personally for my work it has helped but to talk about generally uh, personally why i said my work because my you know nonprofit organization i could scale from uh, a local kerala based field organization to a pan india online organization right, right now we have fellows uh, women both you know the campus to career as well as they come back come back to career fellows who are working across india even from Uh, remote states like assam chatisgarh jharkhand i'm i'm so happy we could actually explore into that domain only because of the pandemic otherwise right. i would have limited my activities to my state right so that way it helped uh, and we are able to give more outreach to our activities however if you look at the general women uh, employment scenario we all know that post pandemic uh, the women's labor force participation has actually dipped more than 3 or 4% from 36 to 33 i think um so definitely a lot of women have actually lost job because of pandemic mm-hmm. however at this point i would say we as we are recovering one positive sign that we have is the lot of opportunities uh, or rather the companies realizing the flexibility that uh, or rather the i would say uh, providing opportunities to work from home 
employees to work from home actually enhances the talent pool for any corporate. Right. That way, I would say the next few years is going to be a massive opportunity, especially for women, because they can work from home, provided they are skilled enough to go and you know work as per the terms of the companies. And at the same time, employees um, uh, working from home will add better talent pool for the corporate, which was earlier limited to the locality. For example, you are based in Delhi, you get only talents in Delhi. However, right. today we can hire anyone from any, anywhere across the globe. And this is a ma massive shift in their total labor forces, what I believe. It, it provides a lot of opportunity, but it also has its other paraphernalia difficulties associated with it. However, generally, I look at it in a positive manner. Thank you. Now, uh, as if all of this weren't enough, you are also a published poet, I believe, writing as Dr. CV. Is that right? Yes, you're right. So tell us a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your life as a poet. But then I also want to ask you, how do you take care of yourself? Like this is a lot. <laughs> now, that's interesting. So first about my poems, uh, I I wrote poems. Um, I actually you know this is a very personal note. Uh, in 2019, I underwent a major clinical depression uh, because of certain family uh, marriage my marriage was a failure and uh, my personally my social entrepreneurship which I was trying to build and all came into a lot of failure and I couldn't handle my uh, failures in my life and I underwent a major clinical depression today I talk about it in all forums because I want to create an awareness about mental health as well you know it should not be I was at the verge of suicide at the age of 38 and uh, right now imagine if I had attempted or committed suicide I wouldn't be sitting here at Stanford talking to you right thank you for being so open about that yes so why I while I faced that mental uh, depression and challenge um, two good things happened to me one is I got a couple of very good friends who advised me or other who took me to a psychiatrist I actually went to medical health I took medicines and second, I also started uh, doing a lot of meditation. And that was the beginning of my spiritual journey. I realized that my life is more, more precious than all the challenges that I'm facing or all the issues that I'm facing or all my even mental struggles. So I have to come out of it so that I can do bigger things in my life. So uh, it took me almost around one year of self-healing practices, including, as I said, uh, medical professional health plus uh, the meditation practices mm. which I started. It was during that uh, mental depression phase that I started writing poems. My poems were actually a ventilation for me. If you look at many of the poems that uh, I publish, it's all about the struggles that women face and women or feminist kind of poems I have written, most of them. And the poem and the good thing out of that depression is that I, I became a published author uh, of uh, poetry books. <laughs> so looking back, I would say every challenge that we face in our life can become an opportunity. So in those days, during my depression uh, phase, I used to write every day one one poem. I don't know how it came, but it just, you know, I was I ended up writing. Uh, it had both uh, the, the despair as well as the hope aspect. I'm, you know, there is like some poems are all about po uh, hope and positive things. Some are about despair and uh, uh, things. So, um, uh, so that became my first poetry book, The Girl in Me. 
the second was the woman in me so both of them um, are sim they have some poems in connected but most of them are about women uh, being a woman and what are the thoughts that comes inside you so that's what i did that's how i became a poet and to answer your second part of the question how i am able to handle all of this i would say that's a i i think every person has this potential it's about um when you have a purpose in life for me i have actually set a goal for myself uh, as i want to empower 1 million women by 2030 <laughs> that is that is a considerable goal and how what, what are the <laughs> metrics uh well through my own entrepreneurship and skill development initiatives whatever i am doing and in in all positive uh, all the ventures which i am running is all towards uh social equity or you know women led uh, women uh, kind of a project so obviously through all these ventures i am directly and indirectly impacting a lot of women so i think um having a big goal is important this goal you know one fine morning i thought okay i'm going to do this it's, it's when i started off i was just a single person right now i'm employing more than uh 50 60 women in my organization so it it just starts with setting a big goal so the moment i set a big goal every day begins with a lot of uh work as well as uh, to to look forward i i i mean if you ask any person with a purpose they will say no day um, is boring for me yeah. no day is boring every yeah. day morning 6 to when, till, until i sleep i have a lot of interesting things happening around me yeah though some some may be chaos and problems and challenges but of course along with that a lot of good things happen so uh i never feel worked down or bogged down or you know as as people here say oh i'm like you know tired i need a break i, I never felt like taking a break uh once I, once in a while i take a break maybe going for a hike or something but that is for recharging even you know you also need that mental uh break to recharge yourself so couple of things self uh, things which i do is definitely the meditation i still continue to practice meditation a lot i also do a lot of nature walk and uh, being in the nature and most importantly i also make sure that i meet and interact with a lot of good positive people around mm-hmm. me i try to meet new and new people learn about their works as well as learn about their challenges so socializing with people with a Uh, who are impactful is something which i enjoy so these are the ways i keep my myself uh, happy every day <laughs> you are an inspiration thank you so much for um so very openly sharing your story with us thank you for joining me on the sasspot today thank you thanks a lot lalita this was amazing uh, talking to you and to share my journey thanks for the opportunity Now listeners uh we at the Sasspot also have a goal which is that we want more people to be aware of Sasspot so if you would like to help us reach our goal of maybe not a million people impacted by the podcast <laughs> Uh, but a few more than we have and we have a lot but we'd like to build the audience please go to whatever platform you're listening on uh, and give us a rating and if you can write a short review thank you so much for listening to us as always um gratitude to soham shiva for creating the intro and outro to the podcast and the wonderful simrat mataru for post production Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the SASPod, the South Asian Studies at Stanford podcast. Find out all about the Stanford Center for South Asia at southasia.stanford.edu and find us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you can tune in again soon. Come, fair.